Hello and welcome to this next episode of the Forever Athletic Podcast with me, Coach Ian Wood, and it is this week's Q&A. So let's crack on with the four questions that I've got here. Starting off with one from Josh. Tips for bedtime routine for busy brains. So I've got a two-part answer. First part, 10-3-2-1 rule is a really good place to start. So that is 10 hours before bed, no more caffeine because it's a stimulant. It has a half-life of five to eight hours-ish, depending on the person. So after that five to eight hour mark, there's still half the amount of caffeine in your body. Having it no more than 10 hours before bed means that there's going to be less than half of it in there. So there's less of that stimulating property in there, which is going to help you settle down and it's probably going to help you sleep better. So no caffeine 10 hours before bed. Then no food or alcohol three hours before bed because you want that digestion process to have stopped so your body can switch off and just do the things it needs to do whilst it's sleeping. And particularly alcohol, it's not great for your sleep. It's not going to stop you falling asleep, but it's not going to let you sleep as deeply as you would normally do. So trying to cut out alcohol altogether um, most of the time is going to be really, really good. But in general, no food or alcohol three hours before bed. Then two hours before bed, no more work. Just try to start winding down. Just switch off the end of your day uh, and move on to more relaxing, more calm and more chilled things so that you're not thinking about work when it goes to bedtime. You're generally thinking about absolutely nothing and then you fall asleep. And then finally, one hour before bedtime, no more screens wherever possible. Um, Those screens, whether it's your phone, whether it's your laptop, whether it's your TV, stimulating bright light going in, And the real common one is taking your phone into bed with you, flicking through social media and all that sort of stuff. There's just all these little mini hits of dopamine, all these kind of short, sharp things catching your attention. That's the opposite of what you you want your brain to be doing at that moment in time. You want it to be slowing down. You want it to be relaxing and all that sort of stuff. So no screen time, one hour before bed. There's a few things I would add to the 10321, which work really, really well for me. So especially if you've got a busy brain, I would plan your next day of work as the final act of your current day of work. So rather than waking up and then writing down your to-do list of what you're going to do that day, write it as the final thing that you do in your regular day of work. So say you finish at 6pm, at 5.50, you're going to be writing down your to-do list for tomorrow and just committing that all to paper and then you can just switch your brain off from that. There's nothing you're going to forget. There's nothing you're going to overlook. It's all on paper. You can be confident in that and then that's great. You can just move on from work and just leave it there. Okay, so I definitely recommend that. I'd also recommend dimming the lights in that last hour. So Kate does this really, really well in our house. It will get to that kind of half eight point for us. She is going around. She's pulling all the curtains closed in every single window, turning all the lights off, and then we're just chilling on the sofa for the next hour. Um, That really, really helps. It just puts your brain into that kind of wind down mode. Again, everything is dark as it should be as we're trying to go to sleep. That's really, really beneficial. Then we're pretty good at getting up to bed at about half nine-ish bedtime for us is 10 kind of lights off so we'll go upstairs we'll clean our teeth wash our face all that sort of stuff and then we both read before bed because again it's something you can do just to start switching your brain off start not thinking about the things that might be spinning around in your head and just focusing on this one thing ideally it's again nothing too stimulating something that's just going to help you switch off no lights going in your eyes all that sort of thing and then on that note try and keep all electronics out of the bedroom so phone on charge in another room ideally downstairs really really far away from you not using it as your alarm get yourself a mechanical alarm clock that sort of thing it helps keep the room really really dark which is going to be better for your sleep but again there's just no temptation for looking at screens or anything like that open up emails when you don't need to open up emails that sort of thing so try and keep the electronics out of your bedroom so those would be my top tips for bedtime routine for people who've got busy brains and that maybe potentially stops them from sleeping well so 
We've got a second question from Josh, which is totally unrelated, which is why I'm going to answer it separately. And that is how to spot the early signs of functional overtraining. Okay, so there is a difference between overtraining and something called overreaching. Overtraining is non-functional. So this is when it's very long term. You've been doing too much for too long, not recovering, which means that initially you were coming in and having really good training sessions. You were going in at 100%, lifting really well, getting loads of benefit from it. But you didn't recover enough for the next time that you came into session because it was maybe a little bit too much or too long. So you come into your next session at maybe 95%. And then you do the same thing again. So you come in for your next session at maybe 90%. And then the next session at 85%. And then rather than seeing your numbers progressing and your fitness get better and better and better, you're just performing worse and worse and worse because you're doing too much training. You're not able to recover and show the fitness that you've developed. And that is essentially what overtraining is. Overreaching is very functional, especially if it's planned. So overreaching is where you are planning to do a little bit more than you've ever done previously. And that is the thing that just cracks you over that threshold, reaches you into new grounds of fitness, strength, whatever it is that you're aiming to achieve. But because it's planned, you can do the right amount of it for a short period of time and then taper back down, allow that recovery to come back in relatively quickly and then show the progress that you've made. Because if you carry that for too long that fatigue is always going to mask your fitness it's going to not going to let you perform at the levels that you can do and that's going to be destructive if it is repeated in the long term okay so that's the difference between kind of functional and unfunctional uh, overreaching and overtraining to kind of tell when you're going a little bit too far with it like you've asked signs and symptoms to look for so just chronic and soreness so you're always feeling fatigued you're always sore you never have a day in the week where you're feeling kind of real super sharp and like ready to go that'd be the first one whether it's kind of things like every weight in the gym feels heavier than it should do or just your body in general feels heavy so sometimes i'll go out on a run and my legs are just like they're just heavy i've just got to drag them around with me if that's becoming a really common thing then that'd be the sort of fatigue and soreness feeling that i'd start to take note of then also being less psyched to train. So because you are constantly fatigued and sore and training is probably a little bit less rewarding because you're getting less out of it in terms of the sharp end of your training, maybe not lifting the heaviest weights or not being able to do the fastest times for certain things, you're going to be less psyched to train. You're not going to want to push yourself again. Your body's not going to be quite ready for it. So your brain's going to be kind of dulling down its um, readiness to train. And every session will just feel like a slog. You won't want to do your heavy sets. You won't want to do your high intensity work, those sorts of things. So feeling less psyched to train is going to be a good sign and that you may be kind of going into that kind of overtraining sort of area. Restlessness was a big one for me. So if you Google this, there's a list of symptoms that that could be prevalent for overtraining. It's quite a well-researched sort of thing. But these are ones that I think are really, really common and things that I've experienced myself. One of these, like I said, is restlessness. So do you know that feeling when you're on the sofa at the end of the day and you've done something hard, whether it's a long run or a hard lower body training session, and you just can't keep your legs still. And it's the most obvious thing that your legs should just want to relax and just stop. But you always just feel like you have to contract them, relax them and flex them and straighten them out and then bend them again. And it's just that general restlessness. And it's a really horrible feeling. I really don't enjoy it. But I'd keep an eye out for that. If that's happening regularly, every week, multiple times per week, that would be a sign of it. Every now and again, it's okay. It's good to have our training sessions every now and again. But if it's a regular occurrence, then I'll keep an eye on that. And then just general mental kind of fogginess or lack of clarity that kind of extends into all areas of your life. I'd keep an eye out for that as well. So sometimes you're not going to be super psyched to train, 
and that's okay. But if you're kind of constantly just not at your best, you're not able to concentrate at work, uh, your brain's like a sieve and you're not remembering stuff, that'd be another kind of common sign and symptom that's going to be really unproductive for you um, and might be a sign that you may be doing a little bit too much in the gym relative to your kind of current capacity, if that makes sense. So hopefully that kind of answers your questions, kind of spotting the early signs of functional overtraining. Cheers for the question. Okay, next one. So what's the difference between strength and muscle gain? Doesn't more muscle mean more strength? So just a little bit of context. This comes from Chantal, who is a Team GB age group sprint triathlete. So this could be a real common question for people who participate in endurance-based sports, because while performance is one thing, good performance in endurance sports doesn't often come alongside high body weights something that you want to be lean and light because you do have to carry that kind of body weight around with you when you're doing these endurance sports so i can see the concern and the want for clarity between the two things so let's break this down for you so muscle gain is a physiological adaptation so you've trained and your body has physiologically adapted by building more muscle mass there is more physiology there there is more body there you've built more muscle mass so yes that is true with more mass, muscle mass comes more strength potential because you've got a greater cross-sectional area of muscle to work with. So it's more likely that it's going to be able to uh, produce more force at higher rates, which is why kind of bigger weight categories in strength sports will always lift greater weights. So the people who are kind of 100 kilos plus are always going to lift more than the people that are 60, 70 kilos in body weight because there's just more muscle mass there to work with. So again, I can see the concern, but remember that strength isn't just a physiological adaptation, okay? It is also a psychological adaptation in terms of confidence in pushing your limits and being comfortable to put more weight on the bar and go for it and know that you're not going to kind of hurt yourself. You know that you are capable and you can push yourself close to that limit. And it's also, most importantly, a neuromuscular adaptation. So there's a skill element to it and there's also a recruitment element to it. So you can get stronger without getting bigger or significantly bigger due to that kind of psychological, most importantly, the neuromuscular adaptation because your brain over time with strength training can just get better at recruiting more muscle fibers and that can be muscle fibers that you already have. It doesn't have to be new muscle fibers that you are recruiting, okay? And a really good example of this is again, back in strength sports, because they do have weight categories to make it kind of accessible for people of all sizes and all that sort of stuff, rather than it just being a, a giant's game sort of thing. People can stay in the same weight category for years and years and years and still progress their strength as well, but they can't get any heavier. So it's absolutely possible massively when you're not particularly experienced in strength training, but it can still happen when you are very experienced. Um, so yeah, there is a big difference between strength and muscle gain. Muscle gain is solely physiological, whereas strength is physiological. There can be an element of muscle gain to it, but there's also this psychological and most particularly neuromuscular adaptation to it as well. So don't be afraid of trying to get strong if you are an endurance athlete. It can massively benefit your performance in terms of robustness, force production, speed, those sorts of things, um, heel climbs, and it doesn't have to mean that you're going to be bigger and heavier and you're going to have to carry that around with you. And that's not going to necessarily negative, negatively affect your performance. Okay, then into final question. So this is from one of my online coaching clients, Bernie, who is an absolute legend. He's absolutely smashing it. Are lifting shoes worth it? Or is a couple of two and a half kilogram plates under your heels good enough? So, and if so, any recommendations? So first bit, 
are lifting your shoes worth it? So if you're going to be squatting every week for like the next two years, you just committed to training, it's going to be happening. They will probably be a good investment and you don't have to spend a lot of money on them as well. If you're going to start weightlifting, so specifically trying to learn the snatch and the clean and jerk, then you're definitely going to want to pair because they will be very, very beneficial for those activities. In either of those two scenarios, one pair is going to last you pretty much forever unless you are super hardcore weightlifting multiple times per week. So for example, my pair, I've only ever owned one pair. They're a pair of Adidas Adi Powers, Adi Power Ones. They're in the red London Olympic color. They're sick. I love them. But London Olympics, that was 2012. So these things, they're what, 11 years old? There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. They're still good to go. So they were relatively expensive at the time. I think they were like 125 quid or something, but I've got 10 years out of them. So in terms of actual return on investment, they're not very, very expensive at all. The main downside to doing something like having a two and a half kilo plate under each heel when you're doing something like squatting is there is a slight added risk of tripping, especially if you are pushing weights towards the top edge because you've got to unrack that bar, you've got to get yourself in position and then you've got to make sure that you're on those very specific points of where the plates are. And there is a relatively uh, a relative skill element of putting the plates in the right place where you want them so you can have the perfect setup for those lifts as well. Um, whereas if you do have a pair of lifting shoes, they're just attached to you. So you just walk out normally and then you're just ready to go. Plus they're really nice and flat, solid, you're strapped in, all that sort of stuff. So there will be a benefit to it if you're going to be lifting consistently. From a quick little Google, just reputable brands, super affordable probably the adidas powerlift 5 you can get them for under 65 pounds and again if they're going to last you 10 years that's an absolute bargain per lift like just go for it and do it they'll be really really good um loads of people in all of the gyms i've worked in recently have been wearing them they will last a long time they'll be perfectly good enough there's gonna be no issues with them if you wanted to splash the cash and have something that's a little bit higher end then the the big two brands currently would be nike and adidas you've got the nike romaleo 4 and adidas Adi adipower 3 both really, really good shoes they're going to cost you 150 quid again if you spread spread it over 10 years like i've done it, it's really not a huge investment on that um but you don't i don't think you get kind of twice the value out of those than you would do from the adidas power lifts currently i just got my really cool ones because i thought they were really cool and i still think they're really cool and i'm really happy with it depends if that's where you're at i know you're a bit of a shoe guy bernie so that might be where you're at the other option you've got is something like a squat wedge or a squat ramp you can search that on amazon you'll get one from uh, for about uh, about 25 pounds that will just be the same as two and a half kilo plates under your heel but just a more consistent regular um decline on that ramp and it'll be easier to find your footing on that's another option that's probably the cheapest thing to do but yeah if i was going to advise you to do anything the most cost efficient way something like a pair of adidas powerlift fives for just under 65 quid online job done okay so that is the q a done for this week thank you for your questions if you want your question answered and you're a client i'll pop it in the facebook group every monday if you're not a client and i've got room for them i'll pop it on my story every monday as well so get your questions in i'll get them answered otherwise I'll see you in the next episode. If you're interested in coaching, check out www.coachingwood.com. All the information you'll need will be on there and the application form. Tell me a little bit about yourself and then I'll get back in touch if I think I can help with you and let you know what the deal is. And then we can go from there. And then like I said, otherwise, I'll see you in the next episode.